The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Yeah, John the Baptist is not normally known as or referred to as Doubting John. But then most of us don't want to put doubting in front of our names. But the fact of the matter is, from time to time, I am doubting Tony, as well as doubting could be put in front of your name. Why? Because doubt and discouragement are common to all of us, if we're honest this morning. It's especially true for those in the work and the service of the ministry, as uh, our brother Alexis has just reminded us as we pray for our missionaries and those who are on the field. One of the things that they have to struggle with and fight through over and over again is doubt and discouragement. Why? Because this is one of the enemy's primary tactics of weakening the work of God. Doubt and discouragement. And if we're honest, these things are more frequent and, and relevant than most of us probably care to admit this morning. I'm aware that the ministry is just littered, brothers and sisters, with men and women who have, have experienced periods, long periods sometimes, of, of doubt and discouragement and even depression. Uh, the latest studies tell us and, and remind us that the average stay of a pastor at a local church in America is three to four years. That's 15 for me, Pastor Phil. <laughs> so we put in our time. <laughs> no major announcements this morning. <laughs> we'll be on the lookout for an email. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Marius, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Scott, I'm just kidding, man. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> but studies do show that the average stay of a pastor in America is three to four years. And the reasons for this seemingly short tenure are, are varied. They are, they are varied. There's high stress level of the job, they admit to loneliness and, and isolation and personal and congregational uh, failings and family conflict and unmet and unreal expectations. All of these, all of these, beloved, and, and more lead to doubt and discouragement. But whatever, whatever the reason, the fact of the matter is that doubt and discouragement are real in our lives. They're real, and they cause us to stop serving. They often cause us to stop believing. And I won't survey 
the congregation this morning, but dare I say that many of us have dealt and indeed many of us probably are dealing with issues of discouragement and doubts in our lives of faith. If this is true, you are not alone. The Bible is honest in its assessments of the saints. And as such, the Bible is filled with those who doubted God. Not doubted God, but doubted themselves and their calling to serve and follow him. Abraham and Sarah questioned the promises of God. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 12, the Bible tells us that Sarah laughed. Laughed. And Abraham doubted the promises of God. Moses questioned God's wisdom in calling him as well as did Gideon. Elijah questioned and doubted his victory, as did Jeremiah his strength. David, King David, the mighty King David, said in Psalm 13 and verse 1, questioning, questioning God, saying, How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And of course, of course, we, we know well that there is the disciple Thomas who became known as Doubting Thomas because of his doubting and questioning the resurrection of Jesus. And this morning, our text brings us to John the Baptist, who could be also known, as I've said, as on this occasion, as Doubting John. Because as our text shows us, John, the great John the Baptist, dealt with feelings of doubt and discouragement in the ministry. By the time we get to Luke 7, our Lord's ministry was flying high. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks. Our Lord's ministry was flying high. He had healed the centurion's servant. He had raised the widow's son in Nain back from the dead. The Bible tells us that the crowds were growing and they were gathering. The word was spreading and our Lord's popularity was at an all-time high. Jesus, it seemed, was everywhere and could do no wrong. In chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, the Bible tells us that the, that the people were amazed by him, and as they were gathering around, they were calling him a great prophet. They were acknowledging him as a man of God. They were sensing that God had come to dwell in their midst, that God was visiting them again, and there was great excitement everywhere that Jesus went. And in the midst of all this excitement, somebody might have asked the question, what about John? What about John? 
Perhaps John was asking the question. What about John? You see, before there was Jesus, there was John the Baptist. Before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist was all the buzz. John the Baptist had been the voice of God in the midst of the people. John the Baptist had been the mighty prophet of God in the midst of God's people. For so long, John the Baptist had been the voice of God. He was the one. He was the one that even Jesus came out to see. He was the one that everybody came out to hear. John was the one who was gathering all the disciples. John was the one who had the following. And when he spoke, people listened. And when he spoke, beloved, he spoke with confidence. He spoke with assurance. When he spoke, he had confidence in God. He had confidence in Jesus. He knew his own calling from his, very, from his birth. He was the one who was born and at birth being filled with the Holy Spirit and given the commission of preparing the way of the Lord. And he pursued this ministry with, with, with verger and excitement, with eagerness and faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness in such a way that when Jesus came on the scene, it was John who first declared in John chapter 1 and 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John said that. It was John who bore witness in John chapter 1 and thirst, verse 34 that Jesus is the Son of God. It is John who first declared that. It was John who proclaimed that there is one coming whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. There is one coming who is greater than I am. That I must decrease and he increase. That was John. Complete confidence in who he was. Complete confidence in who Christ was. But when we get to Luke 7... Something had changed. Something had changed. What changed, beloved? How do we go from being so high on Jesus and confident in his calling, how do we get from that to our text this morning? How could he suddenly be filled with these doubts 
and these questions? How could he be searching for answers? How do you go from confidence to confusion? How do you go from glory to worry? What happened? Well, beloved, life happens. That's what happens. Life happens. The devil happens. The world and the flesh happen. And in John's case, Herod happened. Jail and imprisonment happened. Unmet and unrealized expectations in life and ministry happened. Suddenly, John looked around. And while things were going so well for Jesus, he looked and he noticed that they weren't going so well for him. Imprisonment was not part of the plan. Disappointment was not part of the plan. No one had told him that there would be days like this. And so from jail, the Bible says that John sent word to Jesus. He sent a couple of his disciples who had visited him, and he says, what up, Jesus? What's up? Have, 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 have I not been faithful? Why is my life under threat? Did I hitch my horse to the wrong wagon here? What's going on? Have I been preaching and living in vain? And in verse 19 of, verse, of chapter 7, he just says, Are you the one? Are you him? Are you him? Y'all, beloved, listen. John had always believed that Jesus was the Christ. He had always believed that. But as he looked at the difficulties of his present circumstances, he was beginning to have doubts. And what we have this morning is the honesty of a doubting servant. But we also have the truth of a hope-filled Savior. What we have this morning is the honesty of a doubting servant. We have said before, John had found success in the ministry. But now his prospects were grim. And doubt and discouragement were setting in. And he sent word to Jesus by his disciples. He had questions. He had questions. Again, in verse 20. John the Baptist sent 
us to you, they said, to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John sent his disciples to ask Jesus the question because he couldn't go himself. And that was part of the discouragement. He wasn't free. John was in prison. He was there because he had criticized Herod, King Herod, for his unlawful marriage. And there was a feeling of gloom and discouragement because it seemed that not only was John not going to get out anytime soon, but in fact, the rumor was that this was going to be the end of John. And this was not how it was supposed to be. This was not how the ministry was supposed to end. This was a dark place and a dark time for John. He was in prison. And we know that prison is generally not a place where hope naturally grows. Many of us know this, some from our own lives, some from ministries, and some from the lives of loved ones. I have a brother who has been in prison for 28 years now. And over the years, correspondence with him has often been reflective of the darkness, the discouragement, and the despair and doubt if he will ever get out. And for John, prison was getting dark. He was looking for answers. He was looking for some light of hope. I don't want us this morning to doubt the doubt that gripped the man of God. It's real. Doubt and assurance are the battle of our lives. And the battlefield is our hearts. This is why David said what he said in Psalm 13, verse 2. How long, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? When that doubt and discouragement comes in like David, God seems Distant, far, far, far away. And like John, not only does God seem distant, but like John, you, you, you begin to feel like you have been forgotten. You begin to doubt. You doubt your abilities. You doubt the sincerity of your relationships. 
You doubt your own calling. You doubt your own faith, questioning whether or not the Bible is true, whether or not God is real, whether or not you are really actually saved. All those questions, the devil begins to work inside your heart and mind, causing you to doubt. Doubt your own fruitfulness. Doubt God's goodness. Begin to doubt the Father's love. You begin to doubt the Savior's blood. Doubt and discouragement are real. And if it can happen to John the Baptist, it can happen to any of us. Any of us, any of us, beloved, can find ourselves like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, captured by the giant despair and thrown into Doubting Castle, and there to languish. And this is where John the Baptist was, caught by the giant despair, held captive in Doubting Castle. And he's there and he's, 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 he's reminiscing and he's thinking this is not how he had anticipated the ministry going. This is not how he had planned on it ending. And we, we look around our lives and this is where the doubt begins to fester and begins to grow. Because we say to ourselves, this is not how it was supposed to be. This is not how my career was supposed to go. This was not how I envisioned marriage being. This is not how parenting was supposed to be. The Messiah was supposed to come and make everything right. Jesus was supposed to come and fix my life. That's why John says, are you not the Messiah? And if you are, why am I still in jail? Help me, somebody. These are legitimate questions, beloved. I don't, I don't, Jesus is not upset with John. These are legitimate questions. These are questions of faithful ministry seeming unfruitful. These are, these are questions of faithful parenting being underappreciated. These are questions of faithful service being unrewarded. These are questions of faithful living going unrecognized. These are the questions of doubt and discouragement. And they're legitimate questions. And they're real questions. But I have a question. When that doubt and discouragement comes in, what do you do with your questions? What do you do with your questions of doubt and discouragement? Can I encourage you to do what John did? Can I encourage you to take your doubts to Jesus? Jesus is not discouraged by your discouragements. Jesus doesn't begin to doubt in your doubts. 
So take it to Jesus. So have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He'll hear your faintest cry. And he'll answer, maybe not today, but he'll answer by and by. If you are doubt-filled this morning, do what John did. Take it to Jesus. And you know what you'll find? You'll find what John found. A hope-filled Savior. A Savior who is full of hope. John took his cares and concerns to Jesus, not to his friends, not to his disciples, wasn't going around trying to find sympathetic ears so they might all join in the pity party. But he took his concerns to Jesus. No, he didn't take them himself, but John sent word of his concerns to Jesus. And what did he find? In the midst of his doubt and despair, he found the Messiah. And the Messiah was full of hope. So the Bible says in in verse 22 of chapter 7, that after Jesus received the questions from John's disciples, then it says he replied to them, go back and report. Y'all go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus sent word to John, and it was a word of assurance. It may not have been the assurance that John wanted, but beloved, it was the word of assurance that he needed. This is important to understand. For what I have found with God is that the Lord may not tell you what you want to hear, but he's going to tell you what you need to hear. If you're willing to listen. He's going to tell you what you need to hear. And what John needed to hear was something to believe in. And that's what God always does. He's going to give you something to believe in. If you're just willing to hear. When, when Moses doubted, God said, Moses, what's that in your hand? He gave him a staff, so something he could believe in. He always does, beloved. He always gives his people something to believe in. When David doubted God, God showed him afresh his mercy and his loving kindness. Gave him something to believe in. When Thomas doubted Jesus, in Luke and John chapter 20 and verse 27, what did Jesus do? Jesus says, Thomas, put your fingers in my hands. Put your hands in in my side. Why? He wanted to give him something to believe in. It's what he does. It's what he does. He does that every Sunday morning. This is why I don't care how much you doubt, I don't care how much you discourage, you need to come to the house of the Lord. Because in the house of the Lord, the Lord is going to give you something to believe in. 
It's what he does. Every Sunday we come to the Lord's table. It is there that Jesus says, look, this is my body. Look, this is my blood, which is poured out and shed for you. Believe it. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget what the Lord has done for you. For you. For you. That, that, that. He did for you. His body given, sacrificed, his blood shed for you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. He gave, some, he gave John something to believe in. Jesus told the disciples, go back. Go back and tell John what you saw. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor are given the riches of the kingdom. You go back and you tell John what I am doing. Go back and tell John what I am doing. And just because I'm not doing what he wants me to do for him doesn't mean that I'm not doing anything. You tell John what I'm doing. In other words, tell John I'm still him. I'm still him. John, I'm still the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm still him. I'm still the Son of God who has come to do the will of God. I'm still him. John, you may not get out of prison. And John, this may be where the ministry ends. But be still because I'm still him. I'm still him. Beloved, I have no doubt, I have no doubt this morning that somebody here needs to hear this morning that Jesus is still Jesus, that he's still him. He's still him. He's still him. Life may be filled with disappointments and tests and discouragement, but he is still him. The health reports may come back questionable, but I'm here to tell you this morning, he's still him. The children may be wild and out more than usual, but I'm going to tell you this morning, he is still him. The checking account may be out of balance, and there may be more losses than gain, but he is still him. It may seem like sinning is winning, but I'm here to tell you, he is still him. He is still your only help. He is still your only hope. He is still your only Savior. He is still the only God. He is still him. That hasn't changed, John. That hasn't changed this morning, East Point Church. He is still him. And he is your only hope. He is your only help. He is your only Savior. He is your only God. He's still him.
this is the hope that he offered to John. This is the hope he offers to us this morning. You want hope in the midst of your discouragement? Here, John, take your eyes off yourself and listen to and see what Jesus is doing for others. Who is he healing? Who is he saving? Who is he delivering? He may not be delivering you right now, but that doesn't mean he's not delivering anyone. Open your eyes. Listen. Hear and see what the Lord is doing. And just because, beloved, John was left in prison doesn't mean that Jesus didn't care. Joseph was left in prison. He was left in jail. God still cares. Paul was left with a thorn. But God's grace was still enough. And here was John, left in prison. But God's word would be sufficient. Sometimes, beloved, sometimes we are left not getting the answers we want, but if we are willing to listen, you will get the answer you need. And the answer to whatever question it is, is hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. When that word got passed back to John, I can hear John saying, in Psalm 42, 11, why are you so cast down, O oh my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. I can hear John remembering what Job said in Job 13 and 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet will I still hope in him. Hope in God. When doubt and discouragement comes in like a flood, you need to remind yourself, whatever the circumstances going on, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Because when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. There's only one hope. There's only one help. And his name is Jesus. That is the report that came back to John. Don't stop believing. That is the report that comes to us this morning. Don't stop believing.